0: Okay. Good morning, everyone. Good morning. Uh, I trust that all of you had a good night rest. Anybody couldn't sleep last night? No, you can't sleep because you were disturbed by what I said. <laughs> <laughs> well, I hope it's for the good reason, okay, that you're thinking seriously about it. Well, anyway, uh, we want to thank Esther and the team for leading us in the time of worship. And, uh, yeah, so the handouts are being... yeah. Put your hands together, let's encourage them, come on. <laughs> okay, so make sure that you have the handout that's been uh, distributed, okay, so this morning we're doing this. And so let me just uh, briefly recap for us what we have done yesterday, well it's a pretty long session, but today was slightly shorter, okay? Uh, but if you make me angry, then I'll go further. <laughs> just- Well, anyway, let's just recap what we did last, uh, in the first session itself. Okay, we explored the four signs. That Jesus talked about concerning His return, the first sign that Jesus mentioned is found in the world, and that has to do with uh, uh, wars, natural disasters, and famines. And the second sign that He highlighted for us is found in the church, where He highlighted to us there will be universal persecution of Christians, and there will be a great falling away of many Christians from their faith, and of course the rise and you know of uh, false prophets and their teachings. And the third sign that we mentioned is found in jerusalem with the rise of the antichrist or what we call the man of lawlessness okay so there'll be a second fulfillment that jesus predicted just before he returned there will be this rise of this antichrist and the final sign of course this is uh, found in the sky where all the natural lights will be blacked out and almost immediately that's where jesus will return and uh, that is why we need to be prepared. And so the main point of that is that Jesus wants us to always be ready and not be caught unprepared. And to further emphasize this point on preparedness and being ready, he gives us four pictures. All right, The picture is Noah's flood. Okay, It reminds us that in that day itself, many people will be lost. And in the second picture... We have the two men working in the fields, two women grinding at a meal. It points to a radical separation that reminds us that we are not saved by knowing or being close to a believer. And then the picture of the thief reminds us that our souls are valuable. And so let's remember that it's simple prudence for us to take care and be ready. And the final picture is, of course, the two servants, one faithful and the other one not, I mean unfaithful. And uh, he did not steward what God has entrusted to him. Instead, he was callous, he was cruel, and he was involved in all sorts of carousing. Okay? Well, this morning, we are continuing with our study on Matthew chapter 25. And let me underscore this this is a continuation from Matthew 24, where Jesus continues with his teaching at the Mount of Olives, and he adds th- three more parables. Three more parables to underscore the importance to watch and be ready for His return. And specifically in these three parables, what Jesus is telling, He's outlining outlining for us. You know, what exactly, how do we prepare, how do we get ready for Him? So in the first parable, we have the parable of the ten bridesmaids or the ten virgins. And the second parable, we have the parable of the talents, which we will deal with in the afternoon. And finally, we have the story of the sheep and the goats. Now each of those story and parable makes its point, but if you take that all together, what happened? It is they all intensify. There is a progression. I will mention to that to you later. All of it here it intensify, okay, and broaden Jesus' warning and emphasis. And I want you also to note that instead of speaking to people who are obviously saved or lost, as in the last chapter, Matthew 24, okay, such as those who perish in the flood, or the wicked servant, the callous servant, okay. Jesus seems now, in the next three parables, in Matthew 25, He talks about people who look like believers, and who will even think that they are, but in the end, they are surprised that they are not, and will not be ready when Jesus comes back again. Alright, so we will be, what we'll be doing here this morning, this this afternoon and tomorrow is that we'll be studying each of these parables in details. And so let's just read the passage of scripture for us today in a parable of the ten bridesmaids or the ten virgins, Matthew 25, okay, and beginning from verse 25 and I'll read, uh, sorry, verse 1 and all the way to verse 13. And I'll be reading from New International Version, so as I read, please follow me at the PowerPoint there. Matthew chapter 25, beginning from verse 1. At that time, the kingdom of heaven will be like ten virgins who took their lambs and went out to meet the bridegroom. Five of them were foolish, and five were wise. The foolish ones took their lambs, but did not take any oil with them. The wise ones, however, took oils in jars along with their, with their lambs. The bridegroom was a long time in coming, and they, were all, they all became drowsy and fell asleep. The virgins who were ready went in with him to the wedding banquet, and the door was shut. Later, the others also came, Lord, Lord, they said, open the door for us. But he replied, truly, I tell you, I don't know you. Therefore, keep watch, because you do not know the day or the hour. This is the word of God. Let's pray. Lord, we thank you once again for a good night rest that you've given us. And thank you, too, for this morning's breakfast. And thank you also, Lord, for the worship that we have offered through our voices, through our sacrifice of praise. We trust that you have been pleased with all this. And now, even as we continue on, Lord, to listen to your word once again. We know these stories are quite familiar to many of us. But, Lord, we pray, don't allow those familiarity of our the stories, Lord, Obstruct us from hearing you. And so right now, we give ourselves to you. Holy Spirit, we invite you to come. Fill us, Lord. Fill us and remove all kinds of distraction again and help us to focus on you and hear your words. And so we commit right now everything to you. Let everything be done for the glory of Jesus. Amen. Okay. For starters, let me just highlight for us, okay, to our attention, how the next three parables are also parallel stories, and they actually share three common points, alright? So the first similarity that all the parables share in the three parables here in Matthew 25 is that the return of the Lord is sudden and unexpected, In the parable of the wise and foolish bridesmaid, we know that the groom comes at midnight while they were all sleeping. And then the cry suddenly awakened them. They rise suddenly. And in the story of the talents, the master returns suddenly after a long time. And in the case of the sheep and the goats... The decisive moment arrives when the Son of Man comes in His glory and all the angels with Him. So all these parables in Matthew 25 underscore this common point, and that is the Lord, our Master, will return suddenly where we least expect Him. The second similarity in all these three parables is that the Lord's return will result in an unalterable division between Two groups of people. Now, notice that in all these three parables, it ends with the final judgment. The root meaning of the word judgment is really the word division. The root meaning of the word judgment is the word division. In fact, the Greek word is the word crisis, which we have retained in our English word. And we say crisis with only a slight change in spelling. And you know a crisis is an event that requires us to turn one way or the other. To the right, to the right or to the left. Forward or backward. Well in this case, the division is between those who are ready when Jesus returns and those who are not ready. In the case of women, five went into the wedding banquet and five were completely shut out. And in the case of the servants, two were commended, one judged. And in the case of the sheep and the goats, the sheep went to inherit the kingdom that they had pre- that has been prepared for them, while the goats receive eternal punishment. The third similarity in all these three parables is this. It underscores that the people who are lost are utterly surprised at their rejection. So you will notice that this final similarity is the most striking in all these three parables. The woman who was shouted at a ban- banquet, you know, they could hardly believe their eyes. Or when the door had been shut on them and they cried out, Sir, Sir, open the door for us. But the bridegroom does not. And they were shocked. And the wicked servant thinks, you know, he had done right by bearing his talent you know and he and he he was expecting you know to be praised but when finally when the master he presented to the master he was astonished that he was rebuked and not only rebuked he was cast out and finally we come to the goats the goats just do not understand the Lord's disapproval. That's why the goat says, Lord, when did we see you hungry, thirsty, or a stranger, or needing clothes, or sick, or in prison, and did not help you? And so they were in a state of shock. And then when Jesus says, you know, for whatever of these things that you did not do to me, you know, you are guilty of it. And so they were shocked, saying, when, when, when did we see you? You know, when we think about all the features of these stories, we realize... They're not about people that God has no use for the gospel. But they are people who are a part of what we call the visible church. And like in many churches today, and these are the people who think they are saved and that they're on the way to heaven. But they may discover to their surprise that they may be rejected and they may end up in hell. You know, is it any wonder that the Lord states His warning over and over again? In all these three parables, He says, keep watch and be ready. You know, as we focus on this parable of the Ten bridesmaids, the Bible students and scholars have long recognized this story as a masterpiece. It is realistic in details and poignant in application and the deeper a person explores it, actually the more profound the lessons become. So let me go through with you the story again, okay? recounting this story. Jesus tells there was 10 young women who were invited to a marriage feast. Five were wise, five were foolish. The wise women showed their wisdom by planning for the possible delay of the bridegroom, and they took extra oil. For their lamps, so that they will not not be caught unprepared when the bridegroom suddenly comes. The five other foolish women unfortunately neglect to do so. And while the woman waited, the ten of them waited. All of them fell asleep. And then suddenly, around midnight, a cry goes out: "The bridegroom is coming!" The wise one immediately got up, trimmed their lamps. You know, they were ready to go. And the other five, what happened is this: You know, they realized they didn't have enough oil and so they shouted, I mean they, they consulted, you know, with their, the other five and says, Lord, you know, give us some oil, give us some oil and the, the other five says, no, there may not be enough for both of us and said, you go, you go and find that oil, go and buy some oil and then come back and of course, the women who were unprepared started off for more oil but when they came, when they returned, all of them were gone. The bridegroom came while they were gone. And the five wise bridesmaids went along, went into the celebration without the other five. You know, and then what happened? They knock on the door. And they says, Lord, Lord, open the door for us. But the bridegroom says, I don't know you. And Jesus concluded in verse 13. Therefore, keep watch because you do not know the day or the hour Of my return. So let's look at this parable a little bit more closely. Now, firstly, it's not difficult to see the story's main point, especially the chief point, and that is the difference between the wise and the foolish women. Five were ready, five were not. But it is also worthwhile to see ways in which these women, the ten of them, how they are alike, how similar they are. So let me suggest to you there are seven similarities that these ten women share in common. Okay, the first one is this. The first similarity is that all of them have been invited to the banquet. Each of these women, the ten of them, received a personal invitation and they were anticipating the banquet when the bridegroom came. So, this first similarity suggests to us what this parable is talking about is that people who have heard the gospel invitation. And so, Jesus is not talking about pre believers or unbelievers, no, or those who have never heard of Christ. He's talking about those who have actually received the invitation. So, that's the first similarity. The second similarity is this all of them responded positively to the wedding invitation. Now, some of them, some people may have disregarded or scorned the invitation, such as the townsfolk in one of Jesus' parables. Remember Jesus went, uh, said about a story about this uh, wedding that was taking place and the master invited people, but people didn't come. Okay? But this is not the case for these women, for these ten women in this parable. All ten women had received the invitation and they responded positively, which is demonstrated by them waiting for the bridegroom's appearance the third point of similarity is this they all were part of what we will call the visible church why because they had joined this fellowship of those who are waiting for the lord's return they were all waiting for the bridegroom fourth similarity is all of them had some affection and even love for the bridegroom so the important thing to note is this all right this was supposed to be a happy occasion and they were all happy for the bridegroom and why were they happy? Because it was the affection for Him that brought them to this point at which the story begins. Ten virgins took their lamb and went out to meet the bridegroom. So they really had some affection for this bridegroom. All of them. The wise as well as the foolish bridesmaid. Uh, bride, the fifth similarity is this. All confess that Jesus is their Lord. You know, the New International Version, that the word... They used to address the bridegroom, Sir. Now that's not quite an adequate translation because in the original Greek word, it is the word Kyrios. Kyrios. What does Kyrios mean? Kyrios basically means Lord. Lord. So in fact, it's translated Lord later in that chapter. And so all of them, in a certain sense, we get the implication is this is that they confessed, I mean, for us, the application is they all confess Jesus as their Lord. On the sixth point is this the similarity all believe in in some sense were waiting for the groom 's arrival and this suggests to us that all of us, all of them were waiting for jesus second coming. You see this is highly com- commendable in fact, if most pastors today had a congregation filled with such people, I think they would consider themselves greatly blessed okay so you can see from all these details here the similarities here. We can summarize up to this point that there were people who had heard the gospel invitation. They responded positively to the invitation and they professed love for Christ. They joined the church. They acknowledged Jesus as Lord and they are now waiting for Christ's return. Now, could anything be more undesirable than that? But the final point of similarity is this they all became drowsy and they fell asleep when the bridegroom's coming was delayed. You know, how many of you like Starbucks coffee? Ayo, so few, few. uh, I was expecting more of the young people liking Starbucks coffee. I'm okay. Um, Well, anyway, (laughs) praise the Lord. (laughs) It's not anything. I got nothing against Starbucks coffee. It's just that I don't like gourmet coffee, okay? I prefer the local coffee. Anyway, But you know, Starbucks has a slogan, you know, for their coffee. They say, life is short, stay awake, right? Those of you who are coffee drinkers, you know, you would know, Starbucks logo. Life is short, stay awake. Of course, we know that they're not promoting, you know, anything else but coffee drinking, which keeps many people awake, okay, during the night or the day, okay? But listen to this. There is the difference between staying awake and keeping watch. Now, note that in this parable here, all the ten virgins fell asleep while waiting for the bridegroom. Now, I need to clarify there's nothing wrong. Nothing wrong with falling asleep because you're tired. But please do not fall asleep now, okay? <laughs> Folks, are you there? Okay. <laughs> all right. That's important because I'm checking with him after this what I say. Uh, okay, after i buy you. Alright, so there's nothing wrong with falling asleep because you're tired. Now, what we need to know is this. We do not need to stay physically awake or lose much needed sleep to stay awake for our Lord's return. Okay? So the parable here is not talking about physical and sleeplessness, but it is talking about our spiritual attitude of watching, waiting, and being ready. And so this is the point here, okay? So here we have, I hope I've clarified for you, the seven similarities of this parable. Now, we are told that the next thing that happened was very, very sudden. We were told that the bridegroom suddenly came, and immediately what happened, all the similarities disappeared, and the critical difference emerged. And the difference is five were ready, five were unprepared. So what is the main point that Jesus is trying to drive at in this particular parable. Now, let me suggest to you that what Jesus is saying to us is this, and that is, there will always be people in the church who have heard the gospel invitation, and they have responded in some sense, and they may even have some affection for Jesus, but in spite of all these things, the bottom line is this, there will always be people who will be unprepared and eventually be excluded from His kingdom, when Jesus comes back. And again, let me remind you, that's why Jesus ends this parable by saying in verse 31, Therefore, keep watch, because you do not know on what day your Lord may come. The question we want to explore next is this, but what does it mean to be ready in this particular parable? Now, of course, we know from the parable that the foolish bridesmaid had been ill-prepared because they didn't bring enough oil in their lambs when the groom came. But what can we learn from that? What exactly does it mean for us to be ready in this particular parable? Well, I believe one of the keys to understanding this, par- this parable more, se- more accurately is this: that we need to re- read the response of the groom, the bridegroom. And what does the bridegroom say in Matthew 25? Remember the five foolish uh, women that were shut up. You know, they knock on the door. They say, Sir, Sir, Lord, Lord, open the door for us. But the bridegroom replied in verse 12, Truly, I tell you, I don't know you. Now, how do we understand this? The cry of, you know, the foolish bridesmaid asking to open the door. And then the the bridegroom says, Hey, look, sorry, I don't know you. This is young. Ah, yeah (laughs) Okay Okay, anyway, I'm glad you like that joke (laughs) Okay You know, one of the things about Biblical interpretation is this You know, when we come to obscure passages like that What we do is this we normally come, we go to another passage of scripture that can shed light for us onto this scripture. And that's one of the other ways of proper biblical interpretation. Okay? So in this case, we need to refer to another passage of scripture to help us understand and shed light on this particular verse. So let me refer to you to the Sermon on the Mount. If you remember, Matthew chapter 7, verse 21 to 22. This is in the context where Jesus is warning his listeners not to be presumptuous about their final destiny. And this is what Jesus says in verse uh, Matthew 7, verse 21. He says, Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven, but only the one who does the will of my Father who is in heaven. Many will say to me on that day, Lord, Lord, do did did we not prophesy in your name, and in your name drive out demons, and in your name perform many miracles? Then I will tell them plainly, I never... Knew you away from me, you evil doers. 23, verse 23. I never knew you away from me, you evil doers. Now, let me suggest three things that we can learn from this particular passage here on what will save us or prevent us from entering into the kingdom of heaven. The first is this knowing the right language will not save us. In other words, just merely calling Jesus, Lord, 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 it's not going to save you. Okay? Just saying or confessing Jesus is Lord, it's just not going to save you. And the second thing here Jesus men- mentions is having an impressive list of pious actions will also not save you. Notice those who try to claim credit by saying, Lord, we prophesy in your name. You know, we drive out demons in your name and we heal in your name. Now, while all these things are good in itself, what this passage here reminds us that what Jesus is saying is that these are not what will get us into the kingdom of God. So what will get us into the kingdom of God? Who then are those that Jesus will know? Well, we go to another passage of Scripture again which is provided very briefly for us, and that's by the Apostle Paul. The Apostle Paul basically said, it's in 1 Corinthians chapter 8, verse 3, he says, but whoever loves God is known by God. What Paul is basically saying that, it is those who really love, if you really love God, then you are the one who can really claim to know Him. But what does it mean exactly to love God? And Anybody can say that, I love Jesus, I love God. Well, Jesus provides us the answer. In John chapter 14, 21, Jesus says what? Whoever who has my commandments and keeps them, he, it is, who loves me. And the one who loves me will be loved by my Father, and I too will love them and show myself to them. And again in verse 22 of chapter 14 of John, if you love me, keep my commandments. And in John chapter 15, verse 10, he says, if you keep my commandments, you will remain in my love. Just as I have kept my Father's commands and remain in his love. So, in short, back to the question who are those that Jesus will know? Well, from the above passage of the scripture, it seems clear to me that those whom Jesus will know are those, and who are known by God, are those who love God by just. By obeying and keeping His commandments, it's not just like just professing, "Oh, Jesus, I love You," and then you do nothing about it. Here is very clear. Jesus tells us, you know, the proof of the pudding is this: is that those who love God will demonstrate it through their obedience in keeping and obeying God's command. And that is why, you know, Jesus emphasized and said unequivocally in Matthew chapter 7 verse 21, He says, "Not everyone who calls Him Lord will enter the kingdom of heaven, but only those what who does or who do God's will." So let me remind us again: the way to authenticate our love for God is whether we obey God and we follow every whether whether we follow everything that He has commanded us to do. See, we all need to know this, that the Christian life is not just about showing up at the end. Okay? Listen carefully. The sin of the foolish bridesmaid is not so much one of commission, but of omission. What does that mean? In other words, the sin of the foolish bridesmaid was not that they took action to commit sin, but rather they sinned because of their neglect For not doing the necessary thing. And in that case, they neglected carrying extra oil. And likewise, what this application for us is this. Likewise, we may go about life, you know, avoiding sin and, you know, not commit any kind of sin. And we think, and we think that this is all there is to be a disciple of Christ. But listen carefully. Listen very carefully. The test of true discipleship is not what you do when you know that Jesus is coming back. And the test of discipleship is also not whether you go about life avoiding sin and not committing sin, important as it is, but rather it is equally important what you neglect to do when you know that Jesus is away for a long time. That's the point. Of this parable down here It was an issue of neglect The foolish Bridesmaid neglected To carry the extra Oil You know we usually think of An ungodly person as one who Sinned against God you know or those you know Robbers you know criminals So on and so forth but you know what Let me just say this to you An ungodly person can also be one who lives his or her life that simply ignores God or neglects God. Do you know that? So an ungodly person is not just people, you know, who commit crimes, commit all kinds of sin. But an ungodly person can also refer to those who don't have any regard for God. You neglect God. You ignore God. And how can we do that? You and I can actually ignore or neglect God through our busyness, through our indifference, our religiosity, and even our apathy. You see, God is not just looking for us to do things for Him or to accomplish things for Him. Well, this is important, but more importantly, God wants us to know Him. And so if we don't take time to think about God, to spend time to pray to Him, to listen to His voice, and to consciously, you know, to spend time with Him, by definition, we are living an ungodly life. And it is this kind of ungodly life where we neglect or ignore God that will result in one's eventual indictment where God will say one day to us, Away with you. I never knew you. Away with you You evil doers So let me ask you right now Have you been Ignoring God Have you in your business Have you been In the business of conducting your daily life Neglect Spending time to know God In short, do you have really a personal relationship with Him. You see, the test of a true disciple is this. Let me just remind you again. It is not just to avoid sin or to avoid a whole life of not committing sin, but equally important as that, the most important thing is this, is what you neglect to do when you know Jesus is away for a long time. And the important thing is this, do you neglect spending time with God? and knowing Him as your personal Lord and Savior. Let me just briefly also highlight four more lessons that we can learn from this parable quickly, all right? And the first lesson is this. The coming of the Lord may be delayed. Now, this is an unmistakable inference from this story. We were told that all of the young women, 10 of them, had oil in the lambs but 5 of them had an additional supply. Now, let me give you some background, you know, to the ancient Near East, the way they practiced the weddings. The weddings in Jesus' days may not make much sense to us. You see, weddings in our society today, you know, they are planned and announced, you know, with very much... Uh, a lot of precision, you know, a specific date, so on and so forth. You know, so everything goes, and there's no surprises. Of course, I know in a wedding, except the bride wants, the bridegroom wants to do something to surprise the bride, it's another story. But what we're talking about is the date of the wedding, you know, everything, the wedding dinner, the wedding service, everything. Now, all these people all know, there's no surprise to that. And in fact, if anything is to be a surprise, it would upset a lot of people, okay? But in first century Palestine... This is not the case. A wedding can happen anytime within several days. Now, this uncertainty was considered part of the excitement of that wedding occasion itself, where the bridegroom hoped to catch some of the bridal party napping. It's part of the whole surprise thing, you know, and adds to the joyous festival, uh, festive occasion itself. But, fanos also required that some announcement be made just before You know, the the bridegroom arrived. And so what happened? Just before the bridegroom arrived, a messenger will go down the street shouting, Behold, the bridegroom comes. And then when the announcement was made, the alert one, of course, would respond. And those who are not alert will be left behind. And so this is one of the implications of this parable that Jesus is drawing to attention. And that is, His coming will be delayed. But... That should not stop us from preparing for His his return. The second lesson is this. It tells us that the Lord will come without warning. Notice that in this parable, the cry came at midnight. And this was often the case. Most bridegrooms chose to come late at night. And the sleeping, remember all the ten bridesmaids were all sleeping. And they were suddenly awakened. And it was then that they, the five bridesmaids realized that they did not, the five foolish ones realized that they did not have enough oil. And panicked, they attempted to borrow from the other bridesmaids only to have them rejected. And so the five bridesmaids hurriedly went out you know, to go and buy some extra oil. But by the time they returned, the door had already been closed. And that's where they knock and knock, asking permission to be let in. And that's where the bridegroom says, Truly, truly, I tell you, I don't know you. And then the door was sh- shut. So the point is clear that Jesus wants us that He will come without warning either at the end of time or the day of our death. You know, all of us will have to come to this day. It will be a joy if we are still alive waiting for the Lord to come. But if the day of the Lord doesn't come, then the day that you will meet Christ is the day of your death. All right? And the truth is is How many of you know when you're going to die? The specific date? Folks, do you know? <laughs> None of us know. None of us know. You know, I'm sure many of you can remember this recent tragedy that happened on Easter Sunday. This year, to three churches in Sri Lanka. If you remember, in the Straits Times article, it was reported that over 200 people died in that terrorist attack on Easter Sunday. Now, let me ask you: Did any of the 200 people, over 200 people, know that that was going to be the last day on Earth? And that is on Easter Sunday this year. None. None of them knows. Because if they had known, I'm pretty sure they will not attend church on that day. Okay? And so it is with us, all of us do not know when our last day on earth will be. So that's the reason why we must always be ready and keep watch. The third lesson from me learned from this parable is, this, is that some things in life just cannot be borrowed. Now this helps us to understand, you know, why the wise bridesmaid refused to give the oil to the other five foolish ones. Now at first, their refusal seemed a little bit uncharitable, you know, unloving, you know, this kind of it's not it's not Christian lah, huh, basically. You see, the selfless thing that they could do at least for the wise, you know, for the wise bridesmaid to the foolish one is to share their oil, if it meant even if it meant that they themselves would have to run out. But the point of the parable is not about charity. Remember this, that's not the point of this parable, it's not about charity. The parable reveals basically this, that there are some things in life that just cannot be borrowed, and that is you and I cannot live on someone else's oil. We can help one another in so many ways, but at some points, we are on our own. And this is especially true when it comes to our faith in God. You know, the road of the religious pilgrimage Jesus has warned us is a narrow one. And it can only be walked two at a time, and that is you and God. And so the truth is, is, your parents cannot walk this journey of faith for you. Husbands, you cannot depend on the devotions of your wife in this journey of faith. You see, faith is the most intensely personal experience that you and I will ever have in this life. Others can help us toward it. They can encourage us. They can pray for us. They can bring us up in a way that we should go. But in the end, we have to take responsibility and embrace it for ourselves. And that's the task that none, no one can do it for you. And so the five foolish brightsmen in this story were foolish because they thought that they could depend on the resources of others to get them through the door to the wedding feast. What they discovered is this, that there are some things in life that cannot be borrowed. The fourth lesson is this, that we learned here from this parable. Some things in life cannot be put off until the last moment. You know, if you just look our daily life. There are many daily life examples that we know. You know, that are things in life that we just cannot put off at the last moment. For example, you know, I know here, there are many parents here with babies, little ones down here, right? Praise the Lord. You know, you guys have been very fruitful. And those of you already who had, you know, your kids today, you know. I mean, if you can still recall your days, you know, as young parent, you know, you know that, you know, diapers and wipes are not something that you can put off until the last moment. You see, when it happens, that crucial 10 seconds can make all that difference. <laughs> right? Anyway, it's almost to happen. Well, you hardly know. Because the, the, the child can't tell you, say, mommy, I want to pull. I mean, when they're older, they can say it, but with a little kid like that, you know, they can't say any. Of baby, you know, and so it can just happen. And, and we and if you should know that it's going to happen, friend, you have no time to run to the store, figure out the size, you know, and then purchase the diaper and then put it the properly. There's no time for that. If you look at another example, is you know, like people preparing young, you know, students. Okay, now if you're preparing for a midterm exam, okay, it's not something that you can put off at the last moment. On the morning of the exam, there's neither the time nor the sobriety to understand two months' worth of knowledge. You, you just cannot cram everything here, you know, two months' worth of knowledge into your brain. It's impossible. Unless you have a photogra- photographic memory like, you know, our Mr. Kim Siya there. <laughs> <laughs> That's a gift. Did you all know that? You didn't know, huh? But be careful that that, man. <laughs> And you know, friends, and so these are the things in life, you know, even in business, you know, that if you don't prepare well, you know, the friends, your business may fail and you can go bust. And so we all have to understand, you know, from the daily examples in life, there are enough examples in life to tell us that we simply cannot put off some things in life at the last minute. You know, in my years as a ministry of the pastor, one of the things I've seen is this, you know, I've seen couples, you know, you know, where their soul aims to get married in the church, and after they get married to the church, you know, they stay away from church. And then what happens? And then their marriage gets into a problem. And then suddenly, you know, they realize they need help, and so they go to the church, you know, for the first time, become so religious, and they hope that somehow rather God or the church or the pastor, you know, will be able to do something for them. And then it doesn't work. And then... They started to blame the church and God. And they wonder why religion fails them, why it doesn't work. You see, friends, the most important thing to remember, some things in life just cannot wait until the last moment. You cannot make withdrawals until and unless you first made some deposits. And so, this is the important point. And the question is also this, why is it that so many people who, you know, knowing all these daily examples, put off, you know, particularly questions about eternity on whole. You know, the trouble with most of us is this, we live this life as if this earth is where we're going to live forever. And a lot of times when we talk about eternity, we think it's a distant future, unless, you know, you are quite near to your grave, all right, or you are suffering from a terminal illness. But other than that, If you're healthy, if you're young, particularly, you know, the thoughts of eternity never comes to our mind. And Jesus says, for those who do not consider eternity at all and do not plan for eternity is a foolish one. It is a foolish person who cannot see down the long road. It is a foolish person who who cannot see beyond this earthly life. It is not that the foolish bridesmaid lack any desires. They genuinely, they wanted to go and participate in a wedding celebration. It is just that they gave it insufficient forethought or preparation. And all too often we believe that heaven can wait. Right? Most of us, you know, when life is good, heaven is right far back in our mind. And yet it is a wise person who does not put off matters of eternity to the end. The fifth and final lesson that we learn from this parable is this, that lost opportunities cannot be regained. You see, the foolish women set out to buy oil. By the time the bridegroom came, they were too late. And so the implication is this. So it is when Christ returns in judgment. Those who are ready will be taken into the marriage feast, and those who are not ready Will be shut out. So the point I'm saying to us is this: I don't know whether there are anyone here who's not a Christian yet. And you know, maybe perhaps you're saying, you know, that I will turn to Christ later. You know, I, I still have time. You know, I still want to think through about it. Or perhaps there's some of you here, you know, say, I will repent after I enjoy a few more years of sin. You know, I'm not ready to be a active Christian. You know. Uh, you know, because, you know, I love my, my life. You know, I, Christianity is too restrictive. And you rationalize away. There is always time for Jesus. And maybe there's some of us here who says, you know, look, you know, um, I'm very busy. Like, you know, my, my work is, you know, really important. These sort are of things. No, I, I, I wait, I wait until I retire. Until I retire, then I'll serve, you know, the Lord itself. And there's some of us here, you know, perhaps you be thinking, in all your life, you know, coming to church on Sunday is the only time you pick up your Bible. And all the other six days of the week, that, that, that Bible is lying on that shelf full of dust. And you never have a personal relationship with Jesus. Well, let me say this to you, and you may rationalize, you know, oh, don't worry, one day I'll pick up that Bible, one day, you know, I will attend the disciple group, or one day I will attend a Bible study or small group, or join a small group. Well, let me just say this. If you cannot be holy now, you will never be holy later. Do you hear that? If you cannot be holy now, you cannot be holy later. That's the next slide, please. Okay. You see, it's always a myth to think that we can postpone our decision to be holy or to do things for God or to think about eternity. You know, the truth is this. People always say this, you know. Don't wait for tomorrow. Because why? Tomorrow never comes. We think it's always easier for people to turn to God later. In fact, the opposite is true. It's, it's always the case that it will never happen. You see, the point is this. Don't wait until everything is perfect. Don't wait until everything's sweet, sweet, you know. Uh, or my kids go to school, okay, I, they graduated, they find their work, you know, and I'm now retired, I've got plenty of money. I'm telling you, by the time you reach there, it's not going to be any easier. And so the truth is, is, if you don't start now, you never start at all. And so the only wise thing is to come to Jesus now. Because the Bible says to us in 2 Corinthians 6.2, Now is the time of God's favor. Now is the day of salvation. Now is the time to act. Don't wait till tomorrow because tomorrow never comes. And so this parable basically reminds us that we have no guarantee of tomorrow. All we have for sure is today, right now, this moment. Everything beyond this is uncertain. You see, the bridegroom could arrive any minute now. And all we have to be ready or to be left out in a cold is this. When personal judgment comes, you know, we will not suddenly discover that we have a wonderful relationship with Jesus. You see, to have a relationship with Jesus takes time. We need to put oil in our lamb of faith. By preparing and joining others in worship learning to spend time and sharing in prayer personally with God and with others, doing Bible study, doing God's will. Now, all these is what this parable is trying to tell us and how to prepare for the bridegroom's coming. You see, you and I can't borrow faith from somebody else. You can lean on one another in times of trouble, but our faith has to be personal. It has to be homegrown and it takes time. You know, someone has written this very challenging description of an ever-present problem. Let me just read that for you. It says here, I've never been guilty of wrong actions, but on, account, but on my account, lives have been lost, trains have been wrecked, sheep's ships have been sunk, cities have been burned, government have failed, battles have been lost, and a few churches have closed their doors. I've never struck a blow, nor spoken an unkind word, But because of me, homes have been broken, friends have grown cold, the laughter of children has ceased, wives have shed bitter tears, brothers and sisters have been forgotten, and parents have gone brokenhearted to the grave. I've intended no evil, but because of me, talents have come to naught, courtesy and kindness have failed, and the promise of success as well as happiness has yielded sorrow and disaster. I have no sound, just silence. No cause of being myself. I have no offering to make except grief and sorrow. You may not in an instance call me by name, but surely you can personally be acquainted with me because my name is neglect. Neglect. You see, neglect is enough to ruin a man or a woman. A man who is in business did not commit forgery or robbery to ruin himself. All he needs to do is to neglect his business and his ruin is certain. A man who is lying on a sick bed need not cut his throat or destroy himself. All he needs is to neglect the means of restoration. Don't take his medicine, don't do any kind of therapy and soon you know his life will be destroyed. A man floating in a canoe above the Niagara Falls need not move an oar. He don't have to steer the oar or make any effort to destroy himself. All he need to do is don't use the oar. And what happened is this: the canoe will just drift off, and eventually he will he be carried over the cataract and be plunged and fall to his death. You see, most of the calamities of life are caused by simple neglect. And so the parable of the ten bridesmaids, the five foolish one, haunts in a very simple point. Let me say it again. The sin was so not so much of commission, but it's omission, basically neglect. And so the point is this, he who neglects his relationship with Jesus is in danger of being shut out of the wedding feast. Let me close right now by quoting from Dallas Willett in his book, the Great Omission. You know, you know about this book is basically this that Dennis Willard was basically lamenting the fact that nowadays a lot of Christians, you know, they've neglected the spiritual disciplines. They have not been spending time with God, so on and so forth. And so this is what he says. He writes. Alright. But someone will say, Can I not be saved? And that is get into heaven when I die without doing any of this? Spiritual discipline, spending time with God, so on and so forth. And he continues with this. Perhaps you can. You see, God's goodness is so great, I'm sure that He will let you in if He can find any basis at all to do so. But you might wish to think about what your life amounts to before you die, about what kind of person you're becoming and about whether you, are, you really would be comfortable for eternity in the presence of one whose company you have not found especially desirable for the last few hours and days of your earthly lives and existence. And he is, after all, one who says to you now, follow me, uncle. Let's pray. <clears throat> You know, the message is clear from this parable that we need to be ready. Jesus can come anytime. And if Jesus don't come yet, but you know, the next immediate thing that can happen to you to meet Jesus is when you die. And so let me ask you here, if you were to die tonight, Will you be in danger of having Jesus say to you, when you knock on the doors of heaven, I don't know you. You know, this parable emphasizes an important point. One part of the very great preparation for our meeting with the Lord Jesus is this. is that we need to have a personal relationship with Him. Faith is not something that you can borrow from someone or to lean on upon or rub off from somebody else. It's a very intensely personal journey. And this is a God that we've come to love and serve. He died for you and I. And this is a God who's wanting to have a personal relationship with us. And so maybe the first group of persons that i like to address here is this. I don't know whether there are any unbelievers here. I'm not sure. But if there are, today is your day too. One of the things that the parable teaches us is this: that time and tide waits for no one. You know, you can never be sure when you are going to die. And perhaps at this point, you know, you've perhaps been coming to church or these things attending, but you will always short, stop short of committing your life to Jesus Christ because you said to yourself, you will always have time. But let me remind you, this parable says to us, the only time that you have and the only time that you're sure that you have is now. Because you, beyond this, really none of us know, because you never know the minute you walked out of here, you may meet with a tragic accident. whatever it is, we don't know. So the only moment you have is now. So if there are some of you here who have never received Jesus as your Lord and Savior, let me say this is the moment. If you really want to receive Him right now, you just put up your hands from where you are, okay? I'm not sure whether they are, okay? I'm just asking. If there isn't, that's fine. But if there is, I'm not here to embarrass you here. I'm not going to ask you to come forward. All eyes closed Okay, if you're here, you just receive, raise your hand and you say, Lord, Pastor, I heard the word of God and today I want to receive Jesus as my Lord and Savior. You just put up your hands and I'll lead you in a a short prayer together with all of us. Remember, I'm not going to embarrass you. Anyone? None? Okay, that's fine. Okay, so I assume that all of us here are Christians. So the next thing I'm going to ask you here, does Jesus know you? It's not enough to profess Him as Lord and Savior. But what are you doing in the meantime before you meet Him? Are you spending time to know Him? Read His Word? Spending time in prayer? Joining His community? In other words, are you spending time to know Him in your personal relationship with Him? Because if you are not, then you're just a nominal Christian and you are in danger of being shut out. And Jesus will say to you, away with you. I don't know you. And so today, if you heard the voice of God, do not harden your hearts. And so, while all eyes are closed, again, I'm not going to ask you to raise your hands, but you do your business with God right now. You repent of your sin of indifference, of apathy, and more important, of neglect. You see, the more important thing is this about the parable here. It's not the sin of omission. Well, it's important that we do not and avoid sin and not commit sin. But the most important thing is sin. An ungodly person can be one who is just simply neglect God. And so come before Him and confess, Lord, forgive me. And all these years I've been playing church. And all these years... I've been playing in my relationship with you and I have neglected you through my busyness, through my apathy, or maybe just simply my bullchop attitude. And today I know it is wrong, so I confess the sin of omission, of neglect. And as you do that, remember this this is still the time. And Jesus is still willing to forgive you because in 1 John 1, 9, Jesus says, if we were to confess our sin, He's faithful and He's just and He will forgive us. But don't stop there. In your heart right now, make a resolution to God. Remember what I said. Don't wait until tomorrow. If you cannot be holy now, you will never be holy later. So in your heart of hearts right now, come to the Lord. No more excuse. And I know you're weak, but you know, in this journey, Jesus is not asking you to walk alone because He's promised us His Holy Spirit to enable us to walk this journey. And so all you need to do is this, Lord, make that commitment and resolution. From now onwards, I want to be serious with you. And I ask that you give me your grace through the power of your Holy Spirit to enable me to walk close with you all the days of my life and to begin today that I will promise to set aside a daily quiet time with you to read your word, to spend time with you, and to pray. You do your business with God right now. And in a few moments' time, I will close us. Let us pray. Father, we thank you once again for your word to us. And we confess, Lord, it's not always the easiest to hear such hard messages. But we know, Lord, this is your word still. But we thank you, more importantly, to remind ourselves again that now is the time. Now we're still under grace. Your judgment has not come yet. And so today, it's not providential. It's really providential that we are here in this camp down here to hear you. We hear you loud and clear today. And we also know that your message, as hard as it may be, is not to condemn us. And so we reject any condemnation that comes against us because your word says to us, therefore, there's now no condemnation in anyone who's in Christ. But rather, where your hard words are for us, it's meant to jolt us out of our stupor, out of our apathy, so that we can once again be back in a narrow path to walk closely with you. This is your grace to us. And so we come before you once again. You heard our personal prayers in our personal confession, our personal resolution. And so God, we ask that in your mercy, help us from today onwards that we may walk closely with you. And no more shall we neglect you. No more shall we ignore you. And so God, help us. In your mercy and in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.